So my wife came home this week, and, and she watches our two granddaughters twice a week, and I can get over there maybe once a week, not quite as often as she does. Um, but she came home the other day, and she said that, you know, she'd gone, seen our granddaughters. There's Georgie. She's just a little over three, and, and Simi. Um, her name is Sydney, but Georgie can't say Sydney, so it's Simi. Um, she's just a little over one years old. And, and as Diane, my wife, gets over there more and more often, they're obviously kind of getting used to her coming over. And because my wife is so incredibly amazing, those little girls get really, really excited when grandma shows up. So grandma showed up the other day and, and Georgie, she's a little bit older, like this isn't her first rodeo, right? She knows the rule. And, 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 and maybe you, you, you uh, I hate to say it this way, um, hug for love, <laughs> right? And maybe you don't say that to your grandkid, but you do this if they don't come up and hug you. Oh, grandma's sad, right? You, you're, you're literally tell them, look, there's a rule, right? You hug me and I'm going to love you. It, it's, I, I don't know what it is with, with grandparents and parents, but they'll do that. Oh, grandma doesn't get a hug, grandpa doesn't get a hug, and the kid figures it out. Oh, I guess that's what I'm supposed to do. So Sid, Georgie figured it out, right? And runs up, gives, gives grandma a big hug, but Simi's like, Simi's just kind of new. She, get, she got very overwhelmed, right? So she started running in circles, running in circles, and then bam, straight into a chair, flopped over. That's Simi, right? She just, she, she just didn't get it, kind of, you know? Um, but Georgie, she had it figured out. Uh, very similar to the experience of a lot of new Christians, right? We run around in circles, we run around in circles, we find Christ, we're so excited, we're just, ah! And then we run into a wall and we just fall. And it was like, whoa, right? I don't know what, it, what, what the wall was for you. Maybe somebody said something, maybe somebody acted a way that you didn't think a Christian should act, but, but we all kind of hit a wall after that initial rush. Like, we're so excited, right? Our, our sins have been cleansed and, and, and Christ loves us and, and we're, just, we're just so excited and we just, we're just running in circles. And then slowly we start to figure things out. Uh, one writer describes um, a, a dog race. <laughs> he says, new Christians are, are kind of like a dog race. Um, so he, he, he's going to a dog race and he calls it the Greyhound Principle. And if you've ever been to a dog race, the, the, the dogs are let out of the chutes and just a little bit ahead of them, they've got a stuffed bunny on an electrical track that's just ahead of them, just, just ahead of them. And that's what they're, they're focused on, right? So in this particular race that he describes, the bunny, I don't know what happened, but the bunny bot just exploded. I, 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 he doesn't ex explain how that happened, but the reaction of the dogs is very interesting. One dog just flopped down and sat, right? Didn't know what to do. Um, uh, uh, one dog uh, just, just kind of got overwhelmed. We're going to call this dog Simi. Um, this dog got overwhelmed, ran, 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 ran right through a fence, right? Hurt himself, right? Um, some of the dogs just started running in circles and just flying everywhere. They, were, they just, just ran straight, not on the track, but in every different direction. And the rest of the dogs just sit and howled and barked at the spectators. And if you think about it, and the author made the point really, really well, we're kind of the same. Whether we're Christians or not, if we don't have something to chase in life, something worthwhile to pursue in life, we just kind of run in circles and we hurt ourselves and, and we hurt people around us um, as we struggle to find meaning in our lives. I showed you a passage a couple weeks ago, uh, Proverbs 29, 18, uh, without a vision, people perish, right? Without, without a plan, without knowing that God's got a plan for you, people perish. And that, that Hebrew word perish, remember, that's my wife when I roll down the window in my truck and she's got hair and I don't, right? Hair's going in all different directions, right? That's, that's, that's what you look like if we don't have a vision, right? You're just, you're, you look like my wife's hair when my windows rolled down. <laughs> that almost went out bad. 
Now listen, it's not just having something to chase. The key is chasing something bigger than right in front of you. Like what's right in front of us more often than not is money, wealth, our career. And we really lean into those things. And, and, and what happens though is when we finally get them, I mean, people have been reporting this for thousands of years. We finally get what's right in front of us and it doesn't fulfill. It, it, there was a disappointment. And still others, they decide, well, you know, if I, if I pray real hard, God will give me um, the right college to go to and he'll give me the right spouse to marry and, and, you know, the right job and I'll pray for each one of these things and, and, and that, that's how I'll be happy. Um, still others, they decide, well, I'll just jump into a ministry at church. I don't know, I'll just grab one. And instead of being electrified and exhilarated, you end up just exhausted. That's why it's so important that we find each one of us or find our purpose in life. What were we created to do? What were we made to do? What were we called to do? What are we equipped to do? Uh, what are we commanded to do? It's all kind of one thing. I just used a lot of big words. Um, really one kind of thing um, that, that we really need. And again, without a vision, some of us just sit. Some of us run in circles, eventually hurting ourselves, hurting themselves. <laughs> some of us just holler and yell. And others just disappear. I learned a term. It's called ghosting. They just stop showing up. There's no letter, no phone call. Hey, you made me mad last week. You're a horrible preacher. I hate you. Nothing like that, right? Just, they just kind of just disappear, and we're left wondering, what do we do? What, what, what went wrong there? Again, so important to consider the plans and the purposes. We all need a clear focus, right? With a clear focus, we have motivation, Right? We've seen movies, Rocky, Rocky's motivated. Some of my best movies, the movies I like to watch is where somebody's motivated because somebody is hurt and they're going to go get that person who has hurt them. And I think that's not very Christian, but boy, I love those films. You just feel like, yes, justice is going to be done. And I love poetic justice, right? And in the movies, it's always really like, yes, that's awesome. And I'm like, oh, I'm a Christian. <laughs> Sorry, God, but that was an awesome movie. Anyway, clear focus. And again, for some of you, and this, is, this has bothered a lot of people, for some of you, this motivation, it won't manifest itself here in the church, right? For so long, a lot of you have been told and, and kind of a, a preachers, it's all our fault. You know, you need to find a ministry in the church. You need to find a ministry in the church. If you find that, you're going to have purpose. You're going to have joy. The fact of the matter is a lot of you will find your ministries outside the church, and that is okay. Some of you will find your ministry, and it will manifest itself at the SPCA. Some of it will be, you will be with our Carmichael team down there at Carmichael Middle School. Some of you, um, your gifting and your passion, your call is going to manifest itself in raising a godly family, raising godly grandchildren, running a godly business. There's a lot of different ways that we're called that, that, that motivate us. And here's the killer thing. He wants you to find out. It's not something that you're just going to discover by happenstance. He makes it very clear. He, he wants you to actively find out. Um, I listened to the DS this, this past week. We had a pastor's and wife's retreat, um, David Mowry. Uh, he's our new DS. You haven't met him. Great guy. And he talked about this idea that I hadn't really thought about it. I, I thought about it in individual chunks, but he stood up and, and brought all those chunks together for me. And I thought, wow, I love our DS when they amaze me. Um, and he was just talking about there's this, 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 this theme or this image in scripture that, that God loves to hide things. Did you know that? He loves the hidden things. He likes to hide things and he delights it when we discover those hidden things. Like the, the, the power of the gospel, he hid it from wise men. 
people who are full of themselves, right? You could only understand that message if you weren't full of yourself. If you were humble, suddenly it made sense. It wasn't that hidden. Again, it's not like Jesus was trying to hide this stuff. Like the Gnostics were saying, you know, the hidden knowledge, and you have to be super smart and super spiritual and super this, that, and the other thing to figure it out. But Jesus said, no. I'm going to hide things, but I want you to find them. I want you to search for them. I'm not going to lay them at your doorstep. I want you to struggle through them. My delight is in hiding things, and your delight is in finding them. And he has a design for you. You can call it a divine design. I think that was a TV show. You can call it your shape. The older I get, I'm not thrilled with that word because my shape is changing. Um, call it different things. But we're going to discover. That's, a, that's kind of the next step in our journey here. Now, not only does he want you to discover them, but he wants you to help other people discover them. That's kind of part of that journey. It's not just about you, but what you are doing are going to have a huge effect on everybody around you. Right? Paul writes this to the church at Ephesus. This is chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 7. He says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now, grace in this Interpretation in this, this passage here is not the kind of grace that is involves, you know, mercy in your salvation. Mercy is not getting what you deserve and grace is getting what you don't deserve. He's not talking about this here. What he's talking about here, this word interpreted um, for the Greek is for each one of us, to each one of us, to, but to each one of us, um, a special gift or a divine enablement. Okay, that, that's what he's talking about in grace. He's not saying, I'm giving you something that you didn't deserve. That, that, it's a different usage of the word here. A divine gift or a divine enablement. It's something that you do that brings, now this is, this is incredible, brings fulfillment and makes a difference in the lives of those around you. Did you catch that? A lot of folks look at the spiritual gifts and think, um, when I finally figure out my spiritual gift, I will be fulfilled. I will be able. I, 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 and, and in this passage, it's really, really clear, right? That the purpose of these power, these, these, these spiritual gifts, these special and divine things that we're given, these gifts and these enablements, um, bring fulfillment and make a difference in the lives of those around you. And then Paul deliberately misquotes Psalm 68, 18. In Psalm 68, 18, you can go home and do this on your homework. There's the, the victorious earthly king. He rides into the city. He rides in victoriously. He's got all his prisoners that he's captured in war. And he's got his war horse and he's riding in. And in, in, in Psalm 68, it's something along the lines of the king. Uh, when, when the king ascended on high, he took many captives and received gifts from his people. But Paul misquotes it deliberately. He compares an earthly king to our Christ, the conquering king. This is what it says, he says in verse 8, when he ascended on high. Now he's talking about Christ, our conqueror, not an earthly king. When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Earthly kings, they take and they receive from us. But Christ, our king, he gives us gifts. That's what he does. That's his victorious march, running around giving out gifts. That's, love that picture. Love that picture. Now, how does Jesus want us to use these gifts? Like, okay, what's the plan? Hit that next passage there. We'll start in verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, pastors, and teachers. It's kind of worded oddly, but this is basically five rather specific spiritual gifts. That Christ gifted these people. I'm kind of in that category. I'm one or uh, one, two of those maybe. I'm not terribly certain. Um, but here's what I want you to understand about 
gifts. I'm not, we're not going to really talk about gifts. What I'm really going to talk more about is your entire divine design of which your spiritual gifts is only one part. All right, we're going to talk about that in just, just a second. I'm going to get there. Um, but these are gifts that, that, that Christ gave to equip the people. Right? And again, these are five specific gifts. If you look through the New Testament, you're going to find at least three or four lists of gifts, and you'll notice they're all different, which tells me and tells a lot of theologians there's no definitive list of gifts. You cannot go and list and say there are 27. If you go through the Old Testament, there are gifted musicians, there are gifted carpenters, builders, craftsmen. There, there's, gifted, there, there's gifting all over the Bible. And each time Paul lists the gifts, he, he's, they're a little bit different. And again... All I read in this is there's a, God gives gifts the way he chooses to give gifts. Don't try to box them in. My pastor that I grew up with, Pastor Ashley, he told me one day, he says, I, you know, you think about spiritual gifts, and I, and I believe, Jerry, that I was given the gift of building a brick-and-mortar church building in the 1980s. Because he says, I, I could never have done that on my own. There's no way in the world. The minute that building got done, I almost, I, I, I suddenly became building stupid, right? It's like God gifted me for those two or three years of the building. And I was doing things I couldn't explain. I could not explain. But then when the buildings were done, he said, I couldn't go out and build a doghouse tomorrow, Jerry. I promise you, I couldn't do it. Somehow. So this whole gifting thing, be open to just a lot of just amazing, wide variety of gifts, all right? Um, and the purpose of these gifts, verse 12, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And I want you to notice what I highlighted there. The equipping has a purpose. It's so that, right, so that works of service, works of service have a purpose. We do works of service to ourselves, each other, people out there, so that the body of Christ may be built up, right? Built up, why? So that, hit the next passage there. So that we all reach the unity in the faith and the knowledge of God, the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the full, whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Literally, until we become many Jesuses walking around. Can you imagine what would happen if there were a bunch of many Jesuses walking around the world, like hundreds and thousands of them? Here's what I think would happen I think Christ would be ready to return. If there were a bunch of little Jesuses walking around, I mean, I, I see him in Scripture and what he's able to do, and I'm rather amazed, and I think, gosh, I wish I could be just like that. And if everybody was just like that, it'd be time to call the game, right? Everybody, every knee bow. That would be amazing. See, when this happens, when there's a whole bunch of Jesuses running around, every knee will bow because the world will believe and they'll know that Jesus Christ the son of God that's the purpose behind everything we're doing that's the whole role of the church is to reflect God's glory to the point where they say wow there must be a son of God this must be real because what I see in these people now listen the enemy of your soul loves you running around running in circles thinking you're accomplishing things Loves it. That's, that, that's, his, that's a highlight of his day. All the while, you're just kind of hurting yourselves and hurting other people, and, 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 and you're just frustrated. So once again, I, I'm going I'm to end here. We're going to have our worship team come back up, and I'm going to come back in just a little bit, and I'm going to dig in a little bit deeper. Um, but I want to make Jeremiah chapter 29, our prayer, just one more time. 
in this message series. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I mean, that is, that, that's screaming, we have work to do. Please don't believe that as you walk into this Christian life, everything will just happen to fall into place and you won't have to do anything. Nothing could be further from the truth. When you do nothing, you hit default. You just go to your default setting and that's your sinful nature. It takes an incredible amount of intentionality. And this scripture is just screaming that to us. And then finally in verse 14, I will be found by you if you search with all your heart, if you search diligently. So I want to make this our prayer for this morning. As we begin to, as we continue to worship, as we, we get back to some more scripture, um, God wants to be found. He wants you to discover some things about him, and he wants you to discover some things about yourself. And he wants you, above everything else, to discover how you fit into the bigger picture. What is your role? What is your part? Because every single one of you has a role or a part. I don't care who you are. You have a part to play in this church. Now, the question we're going to ask ourselves, and this is going to be part of your prayer, is am I playing any part at all? Am I playing too many parts? Do I need to make room for other people? I'd like you to just bow your heads um, and just seek God for just a few minutes here. Um, he's got something special for you. Maybe some of you have discovered it. And I would suggest to you, there are a lot of people still in this room that need your help in discovering their divine design. And it takes the body to discover these things. So again, if you're, you're searching, pray that... Pray that you find God this morning. Pray that, that you begin to, to go down that road of this is, I think, what God wants me to do. I, I, I feel something. I, the, the, something's going on here. He wants you to find his purpose. He doesn't want you running in circles, hurting people. Father, thank you so much for these, the words of these writers that, that your spirit inspired that we now get to Discover that we get to search and experience the joy of discovering pearls and precious jewels carefully hidden away for the one who would be humble and search and would admit that they don't have it all figured out. Father, help us in this journey, this continuing journey of trying to figure out what do we do next after we believe. How do we experience the abundant life? There's got to be more to this than just following the rules. You've given us such a vision, Father. Our goal this morning is that we would all catch that vision individually and corporately. Because then every knee will bow. Thank you, Father, for what I know is going to happen soon. Your sons and my pray. Amen. 
So uh, week three, uh, what happens next, right? What happens after I believe, after the rush? Here's what we've learned so far. Uh, he wants to take us on a surprising journey. And it's not a journey to add a whole bunch more rules to our lives. It's a journey of uh, transforming our character so that we don't have to live by rules, that we would actually live a life that rules could never, ever produce the kind of lifestyle that he wants to transform our lives into. And there's kind of some steps in this journey. Again, you kind of got to be intentional. The first step is you got to get to know your maker, right? You got to get to know God. And we talked about how the idea of prayer and Bible study and, and being baptized into a body of believers who will help you know God. There are a lot of people here who have been walking with God for many, many years. And those of us who haven't been walking that long, uh, we need, that, we need that, those insights. We need to hear from your experience. We need to know what happens when you stumble. Is he still there? We need to know if you stumble and you laid there for like a really long time, was he still waiting there? See, there are a lot of people who aren't sure because they haven't gotten to the end of their rope yet. And they don't know what it's going to be like when they get to the end of the rope. But some of us have been at the end of that rope and we know that God is faithful. So he desperately, in order for people to meet God, they, they need to meet you also. Um, the second week, the second thing we looked at is we need to find our freedom. Um, we have been born again, but we need to live in this new creation that God has created in us. Um, and, and one of the things that we learned in, in, in finding freedom is um, the liar. The liar speaks lies. The liar has no power except the power that we give him. We have the authority. But all he does is keep whispering. And who does he whisper through? Our friends, the people around us. So we need to be careful about the friends around us, right? Because the folks we've met many times led to our greatest regret. Um, so in fact, finding freedom really involves uh, what are you going to do with your lifestyle so that the voices of the evil one get quieter or you spend less time listening to them? And how can you hear more and more stories of the faithful one being a part of the body? Being a part of a small group, a class, a home group, a life group, whatever we want to call them, um, when lives rub against each other, that, that's where some amazing, amazing things happen. That's where our freedom is found. God loves to work through us, right? We all want the big magical experience with the fireworks and all, but he doesn't choose to work that way very often. He's just kind of quiet, steady drip. That sounds kind of derogatory, but you know what slow drips will do? Y'all been a homeowner, right? <laughs> a drip will destroy everything or create everything. And finally, this morning, we're going to be discovering purpose. And a prayer for today is the same prayer that Paul prayed for the believers. This is an introduction to his letter to the Ephesians. We're going to be looking at a couple passages. This is from this letter in Ephesians. But he says this in chapter 1, verse 18. This is an incredible prayer. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Now, I want you to pay attention to the way these two words are connected in this passage. Your hope and your calling. To which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his glorious, in his holy people. So not only does Paul pray that we would know the riches of heaven, right? But he also prays that we would understand and see the connection between those riches in heaven and what we're being called to do. Because if we don't understand the power and what the riches in heaven are, we're not going to be very motivated. If heaven is just about, for me personally, singing and playing harps, not real motivated. I'll be honest with you. I'm not a singer. I can't play any instruments. I really, eh, I can't say I don't like the harp. I don't listen to it very much. Um, you get what I'm saying here? 
the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. Not only do we get that, but he, he wants us to understand, right? Basically, that we would understand that what we're living for, in other words, you'll never have a better hope for a better, richer, more fulfilled life until you know what God has called you to do in your life. A lot of people, again, the dog race, a lot of people were running around. They'll spend their whole life as not only believers but unbelievers, running around just, just making a lot of noise, trying to find their purpose and their meaning, something that will satisfy them. And they keep running into things that, that, that the liar has told them that would satisfy them, and then they get it, and it doesn't satisfy them. So they go running off in another direction to hurt themselves again and to hurt other people again. Listen, nothing else will satisfy you or utilize all that he has placed inside you in the same way that finding your, your calling, your, what, what you were designed for, knowing your sacred purpose is sick a second only to knowing Jesus as your Savior. See, and when we know what we're made for, we can begin to take our eyes off ourselves. See, most of the time, most of the problem, most of the reason we're hurting ourselves and others is we're running in circles. We're kind of looking at our own feet. We're not looking up ahead. We're not seeing clearly, and we're just running into things. Poor Simi. Right? We're just running into things. We're, we're just overwhelmed. Everything is just, just overwhelming. When you can take your eyes off yourself and focus on serving others as you were wired to do. Now, I didn't mention this earlier, but when it said that, that the pastors and the teachers and the prophets and the evangelists and the, yeah, there were about five of them, um, their job is to equip the people. The way we always think about that, and, and I know this is the way I've thought about it for years and years and years, equipping means the leadership of the church will give you a bunch of information, will teach you how to share your faith, will teach you how to pray, will teach you how to read your Bible, will give you all these tools that you'll add on to your life. That's not what equip means. The equipping means literally the pastor, the preacher, the prophet, our job is actually, and this is crazy, we're supposed to fix y'all. That's what the word means, right? That's what the job of the church is, is to bring us all back into what we were originally created to be, but sin destroyed. That's why you eventually, a lot of you all decided to come to church. Like, my, my life's a mess, but I think the church might be a key. And you all started coming to church, and you all started listening and started obeying some of the commands. And you looked around and said, wow, less people hate me now. This is kind of fun. I, I, I like my neighbor now. I didn't think I'd ever like my neighbor, and, and now I kind of like him, right? It, 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 everything changes. Everything changes when you get fixed. I know it's, 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 but really, that's, that's what the, the passage is saying, that we've all been broken, and by joining a church, by being a part of a fellowship, there is healing, and we get fixed. We get brought back to what we were originally meant to be. Oh man, there's power on that, right? So in other words, check this out. Your problems seem smaller when your purpose is bigger. You've heard this before. This is just basic. This is common sense, right? If you've got a big enough goal, if your goal is to be an Olympian, you will not mind getting up at 435 in the morning. It will be nothing to you. But if you want to just go and run a 5K in the community thing in a month, yeah, you'll, you'll hit it a few mornings, my guess is. The motivation simply isn't as great as, as being an Olympian, right? So w what is your motivation? This is a big question that God is asking you. What is your motivation? Because until you understand your motivation, you're not going to be able to do what he is calling you to do. Paul explains how this purpose provides all the energy and the hope and the joy that's needed. This is in his second letter to the Christian at the city of Corinth. He says this in chapter 4. Therefore, we do not lose heart, 
Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. You notice it didn't happen in a flash. It's a day by day. That's the way God loves to work, just steadily, steadily. Day by day, verse 17, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all, all the troubles. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now, Paul had his problems. Y'all know this. If you're, not new to, if you're new to church, the Apostle Paul had some problems, right? He, he had a goal. He was highly motivated, and, and he was so motivated that it didn't matter if he got shipwrecked. It didn't matter if he got beaten. It didn't matter if he got dragged in front of courts all different places in Rome and, and in, in, in all, a lot of bunch of other cities, um, violently beaten, uh, mobs always after him. I mean, this guy had to have been motivated for all of this stuff to have happened to him. He had to have been motivated. Other people would have crumbled. I don't know how many of you could make it through a shipwreck, getting violently beaten, mobs chasing you, and you would still stick it out. We all want to say yes. <laughs> Your head's kind of going no. And <laughs> right? We hope and we pray we would. And we ask ourselves, am I truly motivated enough to not crumble, because I promise you, when you start fulfilling your purpose, the evil one is going to start screaming at you. He's going to scream at you through your friends, through your enemies. He's going to scream at you through the preacher. He's going to scream at you. You're just going to hear him screaming all over the place because he's going nuts because you're finally finding, you're no longer running in circles. You're going you're gonna to do something. And that's not what Satan wants. All Satan wants you to do is go home and take a nap. He doesn't need you to do anything spectacular. Just go home, take a nap. Don't care about your neighbor. Don't care about anything else. I'm not poo-pooing naps here, okay? Don't, okay, in context, in context, keep it in context. All right. Uh, Paul wasn't, the reason why Paul didn't crumple is because he wasn't focused on things that were seen and temporary. He had his eyes focused on the eternal, unseen things. Those of us who crumble, we keep our eyes on what's right in front of us, right? What's seen and what's so temporary, now, here's the secret. I'm going to do this. Is the, this is the phrase that pays this morning. Write this down. Speak it into your phone. Don't bother your neighbor. Here's the deal. The secret to solving our problems is not to solve our problems, right? Because once you solve one problem, I promise you another one is going to show up, and probably two or three, because that's how they happen. They, they arrive in groups of three, right? Right? They die in groups of three, and right? You're supposed to organize in groups of three. Everything, Trinity, crazy. Three must be something. Anyway, okay. The secret to solving our problems isn't to solve them, right? The real secret to solving our problems is to have something greater in our life than our silly little earthly problems. Something so big that we don't even notice that we're handicapped. We don't even notice that we don't have enough money. We don't even notice that we don't have everything that we think we should have. We're just so excited about the goal. We're just kind of ignorantly running forward joyously. And, and that's where we find God, right? That, that's where the hiddenness is found because we joyously search. And he's like, yes, I want them to find this. I'm getting really excited up here. Whew. All right. The real solution is found in God's ways. I want to look at two key things to understand this this morning. Living on purpose, knowing your divine design. I kind of like that word better than shape. First of all, you need to know your role. You need to know why you're here individually. What part are you playing as you look around this place? 
A lot of you have already figured out, here's what I do. I fit here, here, and here, and several others of you are going, I'm not sure. I'm still kind of looking around. I'm not sure where they need help. I'm not sure where I would be good. I'm afraid to try this. I might be horrible. They might not invite me back. So first of all, we got to learn our roles. The second thing we got to learn is what is your role within the whole? Those are two radically different things. But God's word tells me that if we pursue him, they're going to be like this. And because they're going to be like this, you're going to be filled with joy. all, All your ducks are going to be in a row. Is that a good phrase? Yeah, that one works. I just received my 23 and me. My birthday, Diane, my birthday was in August. I'm a procrastinator. What is it now? October. So I finally turned it in. I finally spit. Took me a while to fill up that stupid little thing. So gross. You fill it up, though, and you send it off. So I found out a lot of things about myself. I found out uh, things that I already knew, actually, uh, that I don't have a hairy back. I know you needed to know that, but now you know that. (laughs) Genetically speaking, I mean, it was right there. You you don't have a hairy back. Like, whoa, that was pretty cool. Um, And they also, it also confirmed that I don't like cilantro, broccoli sprouts, Brussels, broccoli sprouts, Brussels sprouts, and all, and no, I promise you it said you do, you will, you don't like these things because you have some genetic something or other that it, it bugs you. I'm like, whoa, truth, man, (laughs) preach it, brother. There's a bunch of amazing stuff, right? Um, apparently I know you can see this and it probably bugs the heck out of you. I know I don't convert fat into fat. I know some of you hate me now. You just hate me to death. I I don't, my body doesn't convert the fat that I take in into fat. I I don't know what it does with it. I don't even want to know, all right? Um, So, now here's the crazy thing. I learned a lot about my stuff. I kind of, what I really kind of already knew, but God already knew all this stuff in spades, right? He knew everything about me, everything. Ephesians chapter two, verse 10 says this. For we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Notice that God creates and prepares us before we actually do them, before we're even born. He's like, you know, I got a task. And if I create this person just right, a little tinkering here, bam, I've got something I, I can use now. That's kind of the picture we got now. And if you can discover the way that you've been made and put together, this would point toward you answering that first question. So our first goal, our first kind of job is to find out how are we put together, right? And I'm going to hit this next slide here. This is something that was born out of a Saddleback Church in Southern California, Rick Warren. Thousands of church have grabbed onto this idea, and it's just a really, 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 really helpful idea. And I don't care really what you think about Rick Warren or, or Saddleback. What he came up with is called SHAPE. Really, he kind of took an acronym, S-H-A-P-E, the word shape, and, and gave each one kind of a, something that if you could discover about this, this about your life, if you could discover these five things, you would have a really, really a more clear picture than you once had of yourself. So we will look at spiritual gifts. Um, and, and again, I'm going to be asking you, you will be invited to do this in the coming weeks to take what's called a spiritual gifts inventory, um, which is part of something bigger called your shape. And I'm going to just call it divine design. I like that word better as of now. Um, but what, what, what will you do in this kind of this, this discovery? And, I, and, and I, I will have this tool. You can grab this tool. Um, it will help you discover your spiritual gifts, right? It will help you discover your heart, right? What do you love to do? It'll ask you a bunch of questions, kind of get your brain 
rolling and, and you'll kind of be circling and writing down. I'll give you a whole bunch of words and, and, you'll, and, and, and you'll think, wow, I, I love a lot of things or wow, I don't like a lot of things. So we're going to examine your heart. We're going to examine your abilities. What are you good at? Because there's a difference between what you're good at and what you love. I love music. I'm not good at music. Radically different ideas here just to make sure you're all very, very clear on that. All right. Um, so abilities, what are you really good at? Your personality. Are you a sanguine? Are you a melancholy? Are you a choleric? What is your personality? We're going to you, you get a chance to learn what, what all these words mean. And then finally, what kind of experiences have you had? God's word makes very clear that if we trust him, now this, is, this can be said radically wrong. The wrong way to say it is um, when something bad happens in your life, God made that happen because he wanted to teach you a lesson. I really don't believe it happens that way. The way I believe it is you made a stupid choice <laughs> and then you trusted God afterwards and he made something good happen out of it because you trusted him. He doesn't force you to do dumb things. So don't even go there. Satan doesn't even force you. He whispers in your ear until you finally do it, but he has no authority. He can't make you do... I already went there, all right? Come on, focus. You were all made to minister, all right? We were all called to reflect God's glory and character. Now, this is huge. We were called to reflect God's character, not our own. God's glory and not our own. And what happens when we do these shape tests, we tend to, it all comes back around to us, right? Which means each one of us actually has two ministries right out of the dog chute. You got caught that one, right? All right. You all have two ministries. One is a primary ministry. That's by divine design, right? That's where you're shaped. And we had a lot of people in my previous church where we, we, we kind of had to come around to this because there were a whole bunch of needs, but they would go, well, that's not where I'm shaped. But we need you, but that's not how I'm shaped. And it just kind of became this thing. So we decided, and it's scriptural, we just decided this. You got a primary ministry by divine design where you're shaped, gifted, abilities, blah, blah, blah. And you have a secondary ministry where we need you. <laughs> this body has everything we need if we all would just kind of open up our little pouches and shared what we had. Shared what we had. So, let's talk about the body of Christ and how it's related to your spiritual shape, right? Knowing how your role contributes to the body. Paul writes this in his first letter to the Corinthians. This is in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we read this, and I'm going to read it again. I love that. Charlie, that was awesome. Um, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. That's what happened. That's what happened. Um, there were different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of workings, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one of them, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now, I just kind of want to stop there and focus on that common good. Again, this is screaming. This isn't for you. Your spiritual gift isn't to you. It's not to enable you. It's not about you. It's about what you can do to make a difference in the lives of those around you, the common good. So I want to talk about that for a little bit. You've heard this before. Big difference between dating and marriage. Anybody know what the word is? Difference between dating and marriage. If it's inappropriate, don't say it. There it is, commitment. Dating's all good and fine, but once you're married, we, you, you have an opportunity and you're given opportunity to be far more intimate, not just physically, but emotionally, mentally, and in so many different levels. A marriage opens up that, those, those places that we as human beings need to go, but we can't go in a crowd, right? And in marriage, it gives us that single partner that we can be fully exposed 
Again, I don't just mean physically, and y'all know what I mean, how it feels to be emotionally exposed. And that's what we're talking about here. If you have a spouse, and if you're in a good marriage, you never feel exposed, right? You never feel shame in front of this person because you're just, you're one. That's kind of what's going on with the church and membership and the body of Christ. Maybe that's why we're told that marriage illustrates the way that Christ loves the church. In Ephesians 5, chapter tw- verse 25, it says that Christ gave his life for the church. See, I believe God wants us to commit to a local church in a similar way that he wants us to commit to a single person in marriage for life. Because it's in that commitment that everything beautiful truly happens. So I want to tell you four of these beautiful things. Just four reasons. I know I've been talking with several of you about membership. And and even as I I share this, I just want to make very, very clear, there are exceptions. I've had people who would not sign up to be members for whatever reason, and yet they were the most supportive people in my church that I ever met, but they would not become members. So what I want to share with you this morning, I'm going to push kind of hard to commit to this local body. I'm going to give you a few reasons very quickly here, but I want you to understand if you have a reason, you can talk to me about it. You're not less of a person here, right? I understand from my experience that people who don't sign on the line can be incredible supporters too. But in general, I want to share four different reasons why we should commit to a biblical member, to, to a membership in a local body where you can truly discover your gifts. Number one is a biblical reason is Christ is committed to his church. We just now said this. Christ loved the church and he gave his life for it. This is a picture that reflects the commitment and the industry that we can share with God, not only by ourselves, but, but, but corporately, right? Second reason to commit, and it's a cultural reason, right? It's a unique commitment in our society. Our society is a little bit phobic about membership, right? Nobody wants to sign on any dotted lines. You know, it's, it's got to be. Nobody wants a contract. Everybody wants a, a free out. That's the big thing in the phone companies right now. No contracts. No signing on the dotted line. If you don't like it, you can just ghost. Bam, you're gone. And this attitude has even produced what we call church shoppers. Oh, I don't like the way that preacher dresses, so I'm going to go worship somewhere else. Like somehow... The, way, the fact that I'm wearing this shirt is stopping you from worshiping God. I don't think that's my issue. I'll just be honest with you. I don't think that's about me. Maybe it is. I'll need to examine that. Um, but church shoppers, right? Memberships, right? They, 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 hey, I don't like this about this church. I don't like that about it. I'll just go try this church. Oh, that, that big, bigger church. And even then, they won't sign on the dotted line because they, that, that leaves their options open. You can ghost. As soon as somebody looks at you funny, says something about your kid, right? Boom, you're gone. <laughs> Membership is an unselfish decision that will build your character. It's, again, signing on that dotted line. That's a huge step. I don't want you to take it lightly. Right? A third reason is a practical reason. It defines who can be counted on. Teams have rosters. The Army knows exactly what men are out there in the field, how many bullets have been issued. I mean, there are having names, understanding who is committed. And again, at this point, I want to say there are people who do commit, but they don't sign on the dotted line. So this isn't a blanket statement. I want you to understand that. But I do encourage you, once you do sign on that dotted line, it changes you. Just like when you stopped dating and you got married, it changed you. You were more fully committed at that day than you were the day before. I, 
That's just the way it is. As soon as you said, I do, you unconsciously decided, uh, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, sickness and health, I am sticking with this girl here, no matter what. And when you sign on that dotted line, can I be honest with you? That tells me that whatever happens in this place, you're going to stick by me. And I'm going to do my best to stick by you. I've committed to this place. I brought my family up here. If y'all don't like me and fire me, I'm going to be in a bad way. Don't let that color your judgment. I've committed. And every pastor kind of wonders who else is committed. Just, 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 just honest. Fourth reason, a personal reason. It encourages spiritual growth. I don't know if you've counted how many times in the New Testament the writer said, do unto one another, edify one another, love one another, give grace to one another, forgive one another. You can't do that if you're not with one another. Pretty simple. You can't be a private Christian and, and follow all the one another's. Right? You will never be iron sharpening against iron. You will be sitting out there in the rain getting rusty. Wow, that one just rolled out really sweetly. As you consider these four reasons for investing in this local community, I want you to understand something, right? Membership in the local church, it will help lead you to finding your purpose because this is the place where you will be able to exercise what you think might be your gift. Kind of what I like to do, what we did in the previous church I was at, we say, hey, if you want to, we want to commit to the children's department, if you wouldn't mind, commit to at least six months, something like that, so that you don't disappear and ghost on the kids. That's never a nice thing. Kids already have abandonment issues with, because our parents are so, right, whatever. So, you know, we, 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 we kind of want you to commit. But at the end of six months, I mean, my daughter, she came up to me. Uh, in, uh, I was leading a high school camp, walking after chapel one day, and my 16-year-old daughter who's in high school, I had a bunch of high schoolers help me run my junior high group, and college age helped me run my high school. And she comes up to me, and she was always marginally involved. She says, I want to start, be, I want to be one of your junior high leaders. I just started crying. It was very embarrassing. <laughs> and she's like, never mind, dad, freak. But I, but I said, that's great. You can start helping on, out on junior high night. Come on out. And about three, yeah, we'll make it two weeks later. She says, dad, I hate junior hires. <laughs> I said, well, go find something else to do then. You tried it. Thank you for trying. Go, go work with your mom and children. Go, go sing. I don't know. Go do something. But that's what I would encourage you all to do. Try something. Tell the person in charge, I will commit only six months. I ain't signing till I die. Here's the reason why we've got to be a part of the body of Christ, because we're all connected to one another. God designed us in his own image as relational beings. You cannot exist in a vacuum. Your purpose can't exist in a vacuum. I'll give you one gross illustration to close. If I cut off my hand right here... If we get stopped at bleeding fast enough, my body will continue to grow. But my hand won't. It'll wither and die right there. Understand that. that that's, that's you. You're a hand. You're, you're a part of the body. And if you cut yourself off from this body, either weekly or occasionally, the more often you do, the more you wither. Because this body is your gift from Christ. This body is going to bring you to the fullness of of Christ, so that you look like Christ to the point where one day we have a whole bunch of Jesus Christ's running around. And on that day, everyone will know and every knee will bow.
Final thought. Other people depend on your discovery and use of your gifts just as you depend on others discovering and using your gifts. I'm going to share communion. As we share communion this morning, I want you to understand that if ushers, if you would begin to prepare, come forward. As we prepare to take communion this morning, understand something. Um, dying for the church, that was Christ's, that was his call. That was his mission, his divine design. We're called by his name. Which means that our calling and our mission is tightly tied to the calling and mission of Jesus. And he gave his life away. Now, we can't give our life for the church in the same way that Christ gave his life for the church. His, that was a, an even swap, holy blood for the church. You, you, you're not that. You're, you're just one of me. You're one of us. If you die, you don't save the world. <laughs> Sorry. <sighs> but when we lay down our lives for each other, our friends, if we take what's going on right here in front of us seriously. This ought to motivate us. This is our king that instead of coming and asking to receive gifts from you, he gave riches, his glorious riches in heaven to us, but it came through his death. Your joy the completion of your joy will be coming by way of the death of your self. And it will come alive when you discover your calling and your purpose. So I want to encourage you again, dig hard, dig deep. I'm going to be offering some tools in the next several weeks. Jump on them. Search diligently. God will be found. Father, thank you for what you did 2,000 years ago. Father, as we partake of these elements representing your blood and your body representing your, your, your human body broken so that we know that when we're feeling broken you, you know exactly what we're going through and also the, your, your blood your holy blood that's poured out that covers our sins Father we can't replicate your death the death of your son, but we can die to a lot of things that we need to die to in order to discover the things that you have hidden and that you want us to discover. And the way we discover it is when we take in your son. So this morning as we take in your son, as we take Jesus into our, into our, into our very being, Father, that we would become more like him and that we would take that as our motivation. Thank you, Father. Your son's name I pray. Amen. Folks, have a wonderful day. Have a wonderful week. Um, bless somebody. Come bless somebody. All right. You're dismissed.